When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Adam Holland. How you doing, Adam? I'm doing all right. Um, going into uh, some uh, depth about uh, our little rivalry with Oregon State and whether or not it's uh, financially feasible to continue it in all sports. So it should be an interesting discussion. Uh, yeah, the beeves, uh, uh, separating, um, for the first time in a long time. Um, the, uh, it it has been a long glorious history. In fact, I I think in the basketball arena, it is the most, or one of the most, uh, played games in basketball, uh, like ever of all time. Uh, is that true? It is. Uh Uh-huh. It is one of the oldest and most continued rivalries in all of college sports, and uh, particularly, like I said, in basketball, uh, for the for the length that it's been going on, now we're looking at a situation where you know, with Oregon joining the Big Ten, with Oregon State at least still clinging to the uh, pack, whatever they are right now, and maybe looking at the possible conference realignment themselves, uh, what's going to become of our rivalry with them? Uh, so, essentially. What I kind of was like delving into, and this is going to be covered in my article. Um, what is it that we're looking at, like financially, from a standpoint of like spending to make it happen to, to gaining uh, with with like ticket sales and, and and TV views and stuff like that? So when it comes to Oregon State, obviously, like the first thing people are going to think about is like the Civil War of football. You know, that's an, another one that's dated back well over 100 years, uh, one that it's actually been a you know, fairly decent rivalry considering Oregon's advantages and recruiting and facilities and everything. Oregon State still manages to pull some upsets sometimes, so it remains a pretty good rivalry. Um, from a standpoint of keeping that going, uh, r- reports are saying that even head coach Jonathan Smith of Oregon State is saying that he's just kind of like unsure at this moment. Like he was like, well, first we have to wait and see like exactly where we are and, and who we're playing, what conference we're playing in, all that kind of stuff. And then we can decide whether that's, you know, like a, a, a good thing to continue. I think that um, at least Smith, uh, from his standpoint, would understand the significance of, of the rivalry. And um, I'm sure that a lot of like, you know, UO boosters and donors know the significance of the rivalry, too. They want to keep it going. When it comes to football, you are probably looking at, you know, something that's like financially doable because it's, you know, it's college football and the two schools are 40 minutes away from each other on I-5. You're going to bring in sellout crowds every time. You're going to have fun. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's always been a, uh, like, much more of a friendly rivalry than, like, that, you know, like, pure molten hatred we have with Washington. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to bring in ticket sales. It's going to bring in fans. It's going to bring in viewership. 
that one's kind of a no brainer that you would be, you know, gaining by, by working to keep that. And we, you know, we see it in other conferences, Florida, Florida state, Georgia, Georgia tech, you know, BYU and Utah don't necessarily well, play. They're going to be in the same conference. And well, not, now they are. Yeah. But, um, you know, over the hell year, you see it in the big 10, Iowa, Iowa state as an mm-hmm. in-state, you know, uh, but out of conference, you know, rivalry that's protected every year. Yeah. And so when, when you look at it from that standpoint, it's clearly like, yeah, in football, that will be something that will be a financial, you know, gain as far as a financial loss. When you're looking it at it, it may who- mean that, like, that, you know, that game, you know, the Big Ten, you know, I just finished up a project in which I watched all the Big Ten games for the last two years. And they're, with very rare exception, they're like very insistent about like all their out of conference games being played the first few weeks of the year. Um, and so, like, uh, it, it may be that the Oregon Oregon State game, if it does become a protected rivalry, like does the same thing that the Iowa Iowa State game does and get moved to like the second week of the year instead of the thirteenth, you know, week of the year. So that may be something yeah. that Oregon fans have to like, you know, get used to as a change. Um, that would be, uh, yeah, that would be a, a, a big difference. Everybody's so used to, you know, playing that rivalry right around Thanksgiving or, you know, right yeah. at the end of the season and everything. It's it's hard to picture Oregon and Oregon State, you know, going at the fabled Civil War in 80-degree weather in September. <laughs> but, you know, it's better than not having it at all. So, I mean, if, if, if you were looking at it from that standpoint, could it become one of those, like, early season rivalry matchups, kind of like, you know, Florida State, Miami, kind of like USC and Stanford always tend to play very early in the year. I mean, it's 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 better than not having it at all. And you're still going to keep the tradition alive. Um, so when it comes to, yeah, like I said, when it comes to football, it makes total financial sense. Uh, then, you, you know, you get into basketball, where it continues to most likely make financial sense. Um, in basketball, uh, it's 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 kind of the same. You know, Oregon obviously has the advantages. They have you know n- nicer facilities, nicer arena. You know, the higher recruiting, the, you know, the bigger resume. But Oregon State, you know, they're chippy and they you know they play the way they play. And it's even when they're not doing well, it seems to be good games between them. Then on the women's side, it's like a, it's it's become a huge thing, especially since the you know total resurgence of. Oregon basketball over the last seven, eight years and on the women's side, and then how good Oregon State always was on the women's side, that's become like a, like a, like a big rivalry. That's, you know, the one where it was like, I remember um, kind of like lamenting that, you know, Matthew Knight Arena with its size and everything should be selling out more games. And, you know, it was kind of disappointed that we weren't seeing that on a consistent basis. One of the ones that has been a, uh, a consistent sellout is the uh, is the women's civil war, um, and so that's yeah. just kind of yeah. That, like I said, you know that that shows it right there. There's interest. You're going to draw in fans. You're going to sell tickets. You're going to get views on TV for for both of them. You know, and it's it's it it just makes sense. You know, to keep that going as well. How how that would work again with you know like you said like like conference schedules and stuff. It may mean that like. Oregon and Oregon State are playing a lot earlier in the year, maybe in December or something like that. If we're, you know, we're talking like strictly 
Big Ten rules about non-conference schedules. I'm not exactly how sure they are you know, about that in basketball, but it usually tends to follow generally kind of like the same track. So that, again, you're looking at and you're kind of like, okay, that just that that makes sense. Now, uh, once you once you leave behind football and men's and women's hoops, then you kind of run into a little something different. Then you're kind of running into kind of like the, okay, is it going to make sense to try to like do, you know, take these extra steps to keep these two teams playing? Um, and so I definitely wanted to kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm going to delve into that a little bit on my article I wanted to kind of get like, you know, your, your thoughts on that too, because to me, at least from my standpoint, as much as fans like maybe don't want to hear it, it doesn't make a whole lot of financial sense, at least at this juncture to continue with some of those other sports. But uh, you and I always have a, a good back and forth on these casts. So I kind of wanted to get your, uh, your two cents. I mean, on the, the thing that strikes me, I haven't really like thought about you know, like gate sales or whatever, but like the thing that strikes me about, you know, this kind of conference move is that like the university does not get scooped up and transplanted to like Springfield, Illinois, right? Like it remains existing in Eugene, Oregon. And like the, what it sort of inverts is that, you know, what you were used to thinking of is that you're, you know, as, as Oregon is a PAC 10 PAC 12 member is that your conference games are your local games and your out of conference games are when you get on the airplane, you know, for fun and travel. And like, now you got to flip that around, you know, like Mm -hmm. you gotta, you gotta think of it as like, your conference games are the ones where they're forcing you to fly to, you know, uh, you know, Princeton Plainsboro airport to play Rutgers, you know, and, uh, and like your out of conference games are where you try to, you know, give your budget, you know, a break by, by scheduling the local teams. Um, you know, it's, it's like, you know, completely inverted. And so like, that's why I think, you know, First of all, I think that Oregon is going to be one of the programs as a Big Ten member that's going to be trying to pressure the Big Ten to accept like Cal and Stanford to like build out a West Coast pod, you know, to like, you know, I think I think. Uh, like all four of the, you know, I think that USC and UCLA are going to get over this. Like that, you know, they wanted to get out because they wanted to stop having to compete with Oregon. And now that that horse is out of the barn, they're going to realize that the travel costs and the, just the, like the nightmare of getting on a plane constantly, you know, like it makes more sense to retain the weekender. You know, I I think actually all four of the former PAC 12 schools are going to be lobbying for the inclusion of Cal and Stanford is sort of my tea leaf reading maybe not right away but like soon um we talked about that last time too yeah like i think they're gonna realize that they're like you know if they could have pulled it off so that they were the only schools that did it maybe not but now that like 
now it's sort of flipped around on them. It may be that they realize that like, uh, this actually makes more sense to get like as many PAC 12 schools as possible so that we sort of build a mini PAC 12 out, you know, you know, pod out here to keep our travel costs low. Anyway, all of this is going towards the observation that like, dude, now that you have to, for every single sport for your softball team, et cetera, uh, that you, ha- that you are going to be re- required several times a year to get on an airplane and fly to Happy Valley, Pennsylvania and, and College Park, Maryland, you know, et cetera, mm-hmm. and for conference games, then that like, that increases the incentive to schedule local, um, teams that are local to you, but which are, you know, as you're out of conference games and like you don't get any more local than the school that's 40 minutes away and and which sponsors almost all the same sports that you do. So like, I, I think from that, you know, I haven't really thought about it from any, you know, particular financial constraints and I'm look forward to reading your article on it, but just from that sort of like general, you know, from that general perspective, like I, I would think that they're going to try to keep as many of them going as possible just because it's a bus ride away. Like you can't get any cheaper than going to, to Corvallis um, in more ways than one. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, uh, like, yeah, it just strikes me as like, that's the easiest uh, non-conference game to schedule there is. And, the, and, 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 and Oregon state has like no incentive to turn, Oregon down when they when they when they go to ask you know like because it's you know they're they're gonna want to you know play those games you know like like what are they gonna do turn them down at a peak like you know I know that's been circulating among certain newspaper writers who you know uh, a profit off of getting eyeballs on Twitter um and, and don't really think things you know think about things very clearly um but that's you know that's not how athletic directors think um no no and yeah i i agree i mean you you know you see you see that circulating in the media and stuff well i mean there would there would be no you know we should we should show them for abandoning us by never playing them again is the kind of dumb thing that you know columnists uh who are paid by the inch and not by the brain cell uh uh, tweet (laughs) out um athletic directors have to be made of um sterner stuff well and the the thing is is that um you you know you you probably go to any of the athletes in any of those sports and they'll tell you yeah i i, I want to play oregon they're our rival they're right down the road there's a history yeah. between us i i want a chance to face them i want a chance to beat them i, I want i want a chance to be able to go home and sleep in my own bed tonight yeah. instead of getting on an airplane for the 30th time this season yeah i'm pretty sure they'd be interested in that yeah so yeah, from that standpoint, I, I mean, I yeah, I agree. I don't, I, I don't really see any reason why, you know, athletic directors or, you know, any of the uh, athletes or anything wouldn't be on board with this. Um, I guess the, uh, you know, the, you know, the primary thing is just, uh, like I said, and I, I go a little more into this in the article. It's a, uh, you know, a little bit of kind of like a personal, uh, you know, finance stuff, but it's. You know, it's, it's just kind of like making sure that it makes financial sense um, to, you know, go outside of the con, which usually when you're talking about going outside of the conference, it usually has to do with kind of like making a payday, at least for someone, you know, like if you have a, yeah. 
a big time matchup outside of conference, you're going to say like, well, you know, that's that that works because it's a draw. It's such a big draw. And then, you know, if you have like a cupcake matchup outside of conference, then it's like, well, that's a chance for a small school to get paid, to get clobbered. And uh, sometimes, sometimes they get paid and they pull the upset. So, yeah, I mean, from, you know, from that standpoint, it, it, it does it does make sense. Um, I think it just has to do, uh, you know, then like it just comes down to like when you're talking like the, the, the Big Ten and, and kind of like how, how stingy they are about when to schedule these games about, you know, like, uh, you know, how early in the season, how late in the season. Yeah. I mean, you know, is it going to be around the same time every year? Is it going to be, you know, like non-conference game at this point, you know, at the beginning of the schedule or like the back end of the non-conference, especially when you're talking about like basketball and stuff like that. So, now there's a lot of schematics to get through in that. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of what this article is. Um, bear with it, people. It's, you know, it's, just, it's, it's kind of a, a lot of ruminating and kind of a lot of ifs and, you know, what's and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's something to think about. Uh, definitely moving into, like, a, a new era here. So, What I'm curious about is, you know, if you go look up for a lot of Oregon's, like – you know, the, 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 the way that we sort of, you know, because of the football context, I think where like football is played between two teams as an event. Um, but that's not how a lot of sports are sort of conducted like track and field, for example, is a, uh, is on a meet basis, right. Where like lots of different schools show up to a meet. Right. Um, and you know, other sports that are one-on-one like basketball, for example, are there, you know, non-conference games are often conducted in like a tournament format, right? Like the PK invitational, for example. Um, and like, and a lot of like non-conferences that's true for like a lot of sports. Like for example, women's volleyball is going this weekend to the rainbow Wahini classic, um, in Hawaii, you know, for, for the, to open up their non-conference, you know, season. And so it's like already with Oregon still in the Pac-12, you know, it's the case that like softball, volleyball, you know, track and field, you know, lacrosse, tennis, like all these different uh, beach volleyball, all the, you know, a bunch of different sports, like they're sort of non-conference, they wind up sort of going to tournaments that are sort of like they're already getting on an airplane and flying to some seemingly random spot in the country and then playing against teams like, okay, so the folks at this tournament are Minnesota, San Diego State, Connecticut, and Miami. And it's like, it's not, I can't see any rhyme or reason for why those particular schools are there. Um, Like, I don't know, maybe they all had a coach back in the day, you know, the same coach back in the day who's like peripatetic. I don't know, but whatever that, you know, my point is that like they're just the people at, or the schools at that tournament, you know, are kind of, there are the schools that are at that tournament. Well, maybe, and I'm curious to see if this happens, maybe because Oregon and Oregon state want to, keep playing each other, but they're not in the same conference now, maybe like Oregon and Oregon state start trying to schedule going to those sorts of things like together, you know, yeah. maybe to like to share travel costs, you know, like, cause Hey, they could go to the same airport and then fly together or something like that. Or if, yeah. you know, or just as an opportunity to keep playing each other, you know, like, Hey, you know, why don't we both go to the, you know, the, the Arkansas, the Fayetteville track and field invitational. And that way we can run against each other, you know, like yeah. we're, we're not going to be competing in the PAC 12, you know, championship at the end of the year together, but we can still 
run against each other at this, you know, if we coordinate our, you know, meet schedule, you know, like I, I am interested to see if something like that happens as a way to keep the rivalry going, because like, it seems like right now they're sort of the, the way that they do their, you know, their non-conference scheduling for tournaments and that sort of thing is like kind of random. And like, this would be the, the conference split with a rival is sort of a reason to not do it randomly. It would be a reason yeah. to like, to, to try to coordinate with, with the, with the beeves um which maybe you'll see or maybe you won't maybe they'll be like no nah, i'm mad at you and and maybe all that <laughs> stuff that i said about ad's being sterner than that maybe that's not true maybe they're just mad <laughs> they won't do that, i don't know i bet that's that's a, that's a that's a good point and you know, or maybe they makes, don't have any money because the big 12 isn't going to pay them anything or, or where, well, I mean, wherever they land up you look at um and you know and i was looking at like the, the volleyball side too um, you had, uh, you know, the Ducks participating last season in that uh, Pac-12 Big Ten Classic. Yeah. You know, if it, if it comes down to something like that, too, then it's, it's, you know, it's kind of like, well, if there's going to be a Pac-12 Big Ten Classic, why doesn't Oregon Oregon State just sign up every single time so then they can play each other? Every well, you're time. presuming that a Pac-12 will continue to exist. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe not, the, yeah, maybe not the Pac-12, <laughs> but whatever, whatever conference Oregon State ends up being a part of. Yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I mean, like, hey, you know, if you like, we we just finished talking about like, you know, the the travel pressures that Oregon will be under, you know, having to go, you know, go and fly to Rutgers. Like, can you imagine? You know, the Beavs are going to be, you know, they're they're probably going to. There's a good chance that they're in an even more awkward travel spot. Like, what if they join the ACC, you know, and like every week they have to fly to Raleigh, Durham, you know, so to play the like four different, you know, North Carolina schools, you know, or something like that, you know, like, um, uh... you know, no, no, no trip only halfway across the country to Minnesota for you, you know, like it's, you know, who knows what, what, what fate, you know, has for them they may be in even more you know in penny pinching mode like they may be you know clawing at the duck's door and begging for you know for non-conference matchups so they yeah. can not have to you know yeah go yeah. three thousand miles away yeah i can see a situation like that panning out who knows all right let's take a break uh we come back uh we'll talk about uh ducks fall football camp So uh, last week you wrote up a uh, an update on how uh, the Ducks are doing a fall football camp, and you're going to write us up a, another update a little later this week. Uh, uh, what have you been seeing? Uh, basically, they're kind of uh, going through the notions um, at this point, but uh, what we're looking at is kind of like the different positions. And so we just got, you know, like a, some, some, some brief updates from some of the, the coaches of the different positions and whatnot. Um, they did have uh, their first scrimmage at Autzen Stadium last Saturday, mm-hmm. um, and they're or the Saturday before, and they're uh, set to have their scrimmages at Autzen Stadium leading up into the uh, into the spring. So hopefully, if I can get a little more information about how those scrimmages are going, I can uh, kind of make these uh, these these updates a, a little more pulse pounding. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, as it stands, it's just kind of, you know, um, you know, each coach uh, from the positions would kind of, you know, would give like a, a brief relay of what was going on with their with their squad. 
Um, they had a little update from uh, Coach Demetrius Martin, who was the coach of the defensive backs. Uh, I know that, you know, defensive backs have been like a, a big topic that you and I had discussed. Um, it had, you know, always been since Dan Lanning's scheme of, of defense. It's, it's always going to be something that's, uh, you know, on the radar there. And then considering the talent of the quarterbacks in the, in the last year of the Pac-12, it's, it's, it's going to be very important. Um, Martin gave a, uh, update saying that they, uh, they were doing pretty well. He, he said, he actually, uh, said that they got their hands on several balls. He said the timing was pretty good. Um, and so looking at that, that's, that's always nice to hear. Um, Oregon did have to go ahead and move indoors for a little bit last week, which was, I mean, wasn't like a huge point of emphasis, but it did kind of like switch back and forth just because of the wildfire smoke and whatnot. Yeah. Um, Dan Lanning himself talked a little bit about quarterback protection. Uh, he, he kind of actually like zeroed in on that, um, as being kind of like one of the major things that need to be improved. Um, obviously, you know, coaches are going to be a little bit you know, nitpicky about what they really relay about, um, you know, how they think things are going, but he did say that, uh, tackling pass catching, but, and quarterback protection were the big ones. And so with quarterback protection, like I said, you are, you are looking at a, you know, a, a good, but fairly, you know, fairly new set of offensive linemen here. Um, you're going to have to make sure that by the end of fall camp, they shore that up, uh, protecting Knicks, uh, just considering the value that he brings to the team and considering that he is obviously a dual threat quarterback and is lethal in the open field. We all know as Oregon fans what we've seen from time to time with that and uh, how bad that can be when one of them gets, uh, you know, gets hurt. So definitely want to make sure that he gets proper protection. Uh, it's good that Lanning's addressing that. Um, then there was a little bit of an update from tight ends coach uh, Drew Merringer. He just said uh, essentially that uh, Casey Kelly, one of the players that you and I had um, had uh, gone over, that he was impressed with the athletic ability and toughness that he brought. So yeah. that's good to hear um, that Casey Kelly's settling in well. He also noted, I think as we talked about last time too, how, how well good it was to have Terrence Ferguson back in the mix. Um, when you're looking at Oregon's you know, tight end room, aside from Ferguson, you are definitely looking at kind of like a, you know, a sparse uh, ex- experience level. And so then finally he said that uh, Patrick Herbert also is fully healthy and that he should be ready to start uh, blossoming into a new role. So does that mean that Patrick Herbert is going to be like the number two tight end over Kelly? I don't know. It's kind of like reading in between the lines and whatnot. Uh, but there you go. Uh, some, you know, some updates from the position coaches and uh, hopefully I can get a little more insight on how their scrimmage went this weekend. My, uh, well, the report that I saw was that the defense one, which is like, I, I, I don't know, man, you always get reports about like, oh, the defense is farther ahead in, in, in training camp. Cause like, of course it is, you know, like the defense is 
Right. Cause the defense is reactive, right? They just have to stop something from happening. You know, the offense usually doesn't really start clicking until, you know, right before the season starts. Uh, I, I don't know. Like the, the, the stuff that, that, that caught <laughs> that I thought was really funny was uh, Micah Williams uh, joining the team as a, as a punt returner, you know, from the, yeah. from the track team, speed you know, who's speed, like, <laughs> yeah, I, he's one of the fastest men alive. You know, he's, he's uh, you know, runs a nine, eight, six hundred meter dash. Um, which is, you know, like that's the Oregon record for the hundred meter dash. And it's like, I think it's the second effort, fastest ever by a college athlete. Um, uh, you know, he's like, yeah, I, I think he, he was, the, he was in the, the, the Olympics. Like, yeah, no, like rad, <laughs> that'd be totally awesome to have like another Olympic athlete returning punts for, for Oregon. That'd be, that'd be totally cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, you know, fall camp battles. I mean, the, the like, you know, it's nice to be, you know, on such a deep team or, or to, to, ha- to, to, to be writing about, so, you know, such a deep team, you know, like, you know, you, you mentioned Demetrius Martin and like all the cornerback battle, like, you know, it's such a deep unit, you know, with like multiple layers of, of, of experience. We have like floor guys like, you know, Nico Reed and, and, uh, and, and, and Triquiz Bridges, you got like high ceiling guys, you, you know, Dalen Austin and, and Dante Manning and, 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 uh, Jaleel Florence and, uh, and like, and you got Demetrius Martin, who's like, you know, in my opinion, like the best cornerback coach in the Pac 12. Like, you know, yeah. it's super exciting. And like, you just like, you know, honestly, I don't envy you your job because like, you know, fall camp, you're never really going to get a complete picture, you know, and, uh, you, you know, you're not going to find out until they play a serious game, like, you know, where everybody is at. Um, but, uh, like, oh my God, like the, the fall camp battles on a super talented team, you know, like, like, you know, what a fantastic position to, uh, to, to be in where it's, you know, you're just like overflowing with, with talent. And it's like, well, yeah. you know, which, which of these blue chips is going to be slightly better than the other blue chips, you know, yeah. <laughs> like it's a good like, problem to have for sure. And yeah, I know. It's just, I, I, I noticed, I noticed, yeah, the, the, the loading up of defensive backs and the amount of talent we have at that position is going to be something special. Or like, you know, Casey Kelly, you know, where, where, you know, I wrote that whole article about him at Ole Miss where like, they were kind of, you know, hiding his light under a bushel and, you know, they, you know, Oregon brings him in because they're sort of like, well, we're a little worried about Terrence Ferguson's health and, you know, Patrick Herbert's health where both of those guys are blue chips, you know, like both of those guys are four stars and like Casey Kelly's like a low three star, right? Like, you, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and then to hear like a, uh, uh, Herbert and Ferguson are back to hundred percent health. So, you know, they, they should be playing, you know, close to their talent ceiling, but you know, if they're, they're not, Oh, it turns out Casey Kelly is actually pretty good too. Yeah. He's just like, Oh gee, you know, this is, this is an awfully rosy, you know, depiction. Um, you know, who, kn- who knows whether or not they're telling the truth, you know, that's the, yeah, <laughs> the thing that's, that's difficult, the, but it's like, you know, I kind I, of prefaced it with an apology. I was like, well, it's, you know, it's a fall camp report. You just kind of like glean from it what you will. But I mean, Oregon's in a position where they have a four star who was, you know, an all pack 12, you know, uh, uh, team guy. You've got another four star, uh, you know, who, who were all waiting to come online and, and you've got a guy who was basically their starter, you know, in SEC school for multiple years. Um, 
you know, who's getting good camp reports. And it's like yeah. other teams in the Pac-12, which I, you know, did all my previews for. It's like, uh, we've got maybe one functional tight end and like, I've got my fingers crossed. You know, it's like they don't have like options, you know, like oh, you've yeah. got a, you know, Adam, I guess I'll put it this way. You've got a fall camp article to write. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah. <laughs> lots of other Pac-12 teams don't even have articles to write about tight end rooms. You know, yeah. like there's like, boy, I hope the one guy we have is healthy because that's <laughs> the only story I've got, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I remember I remember or like Wazoo that, where it's like they instituted. Yeah. When we touched or on like Wazoo, ends, like instituted a tight end last year and they yeah. still haven't brought the guy online. And like their question is going to be like, will this be the year that we have a tight end? You know, like <laughs> that's not going to be the article that you write, Adam. You know, will yeah, this exactly. be the year that Oregon has a tight end? You know, I mean, <laughs> like, I could if I was just fishing for something here. But, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you know, luckily, I actually have some tight ends. Uh, here that could, that could be a clickbait title if you're looking yeah, for exactly. some confused clicks, you know. Well, if I ever get what? too desperate, I'll keep it in the back pocket. <laughs> All right, uh, let's take a break. Uh, We come back, we'll talk about fall camp for some of these other Pac-12 teams. So uh, starting last March, I wrote my, started up my doing my Pac uh, duck dive series on all the other Pac-12 teams. Um, But of course, uh, through the magic of the transfer portal, uh, none of them really finished. Um, uh, you know, but I, I had to publish an article every week, and of and and of course they kept adding and subtracting to their rosters. So what I pledged to do was to keep uh, track of you know all of their comings and goings, and that a uh, week before the season started, that I would publish you know my update article that had you know that that you know so that you could go through and say okay this is the final state of these teams once they published all their rosters, including one program UCLA which didn't publish, even put on their website what their actual roster was uh, <laughs> until uh, about uh, 10 days ago. Um, which, I know, Chip, you know has, so, Chip has a uh, history of you know keeping things yeah, secret, but come on, man. Super secrecy. Although Oregon's not really one to talk. They only put the, you know, while they had the personnel up on their website, they didn't put the weights on it, like their, you know, how many pounds they weigh, like <laughs> until pretty recently. I don't know why well, Oregon that, does that. There's like, they're all like you know on jenny craig or something like that yeah Yeah. (laughs) Uh, anyway um so so uh so yeah no i i am finally going to be able to i'm going to publish that one on saturday uh you know it's just going to be like updating you know all of my duck dive articles with like okay here are all the changes since i published my article um and sort of like final predictions of how i think they're going to do because you know with all that information i'm then able to like interrelate how everybody i think is going to play with their you know finalized rosters um and i'll dabble a little bit into like how i think some of these fall camp battles are going you know based on early returns although it'll be a little too early to give some some of the final reports so some of those guys you know go down to the wire you know and, and uh it would just be like too late and and, and hell usc is going to play a week zero game on the day i'm going to publish my article so it's like you know at some point i got to stop waiting and just publish the article at some point even though it's not going to be 100 percent complete information because i got to move on and, and, and preview portland state you know that's the article for next week uh gosh that's how close the season is man like i gotta switch gears and start writing about oregon opponents uh man almost there i know man uh it's, it's so close i can taste it um 
Anyway, uh, I thought during this segment of the podcast, I could sort of uh, talk about some of the teams that have um, that have really gone hard during the offseason at, at continuing to uh, to to make over their roster. And then maybe also some teams that like I thought would have like still had work to do when I published my my article on them, but then uh, didn't do that work. <laughs> <laughs> So like uh, the team that like really kept working um, since I published my article was Cal, um, which like probably indicates that I published my article on Cal way too soon. Like I, I probably should have waited on them. They were like, uh, like I, I, I published my article on Colorado last or second to last. Oregon was last. Um, Colorado or Cal should have been like, you know, just before or Cal should have been just before Colorado. Instead, it was like the second or third article that I published. It was way too early. They wound up adding, like, they added uh, an, uh, another quarterback, you know, from Utah, uh, which is significant because, like, when I wrote my article, like, they basically didn't have a quarterback. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> although kind of need one of those in football. Yeah, I still don't really think they have a quarterback. Like, basically, they, they now have four dudes on scholarship who, but, like, none of them are really quarterbacks. Like, one of, they, they've got a dude who's a wide receiver who's, like, moonlighting as a quarterback from TCU. They have mm-hmm. a walk-on um, who should be, you know, at Harvard um, right now, or actually he should be his high school prom. Um, <laughs> uh, they've got um, Finley's little brother, um, from North Carolina state, um, who, who actually came in like a couple of hours after I published my article. That's just how it goes. Um, who like, he was like a backup at North Carolina state who never threw a pass or like threw like one pass. Um, and then Luke Batari from Utah, who was another guy who like never threw a pass. So basically like they have a four man quarterback competition among dudes who have like, I think collectively have thrown like 10 passes in their college careers. You know, it's like, like Ty Thompson has outthrown yeah. the entire Cal quarterback room. And this um, this coming from a school that produced Aaron Rodgers and Jared Goff. Hmm. Yeah, right. Exactly, man. Like, <laughs> um, and and with Jake Spavital as their offensive coordinator now, it's like, yeah, they're going to throw their way out of problems. Um, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> well, if if, yeah, if Oregon fans know anything, make sure your quarterback knows how to throw the ball vertically down the field. Yeah, right. Oh, and speaking of which, like they lost a couple of wide receivers like that's that was like pretty significant. Like I I was um, and surprising too. like because one of the things that I wrote about my article about Cal was that like I thought that their wide receiver room was like of all things, you know, pretty well set, like which is kind of crazy because like I didn't really think that Bill Musgrave was using him very well and then he got fired. Um but like they had already lost, you know, J Michael Sturdivant to UCLA, but I was like, you know, that's okay because they, you know, they they returned some other guys uh, you know, in a pretty big room and and who are who actually I like a lot of these guys. But then some of the guys that I liked, you know, then just sort of disappeared from Cal's roster, including Tommy Stockos and Justin Richard Baker. Um, and, and I was like, hmm, you know, uh, maybe that's a problem. Um, on the other hand, they keep adding to a running back room. Like they already had Jade Knott. They got Byron Cardwell um, from Oregon. And then they kept adding to it. They added uh, a guy named Fonse and a guy named Doru. Um, like 
uh, uh, or just just like, what are you doing adding all these these running backs to a Jake's Bavitol, you know, offense when you already have like two of the best running backs in the conference? Like, uh, um, I don't know. They added Taj Davis from Washington, who I actually think Washington was of all things underutilizing him. Like they just wanted to throw the ball to a Dunze McMillan, um, like all year. And so like, I understood he transferring out, like, I don't know, maybe Davis like beat out Christakos and, and Baker and those guys were just fed up. I, I, you know, beats me. Um, like really the issue was that like they they didn't have an offensive line and so i was trying to pay attention to like what their you know offensive line situation was like they they added one guy from texas a&m um who was like a a center um uh, but then he got uh like i don't know like Texas a&m's line sucked and he was a redshirt freshman who sucked along with it so i don't know how he's gonna like work out um, they got, uh, Barrett Miller from Stanford, um, who sucked at Stanford. Like, uh, they got actually a pretty good offensive lineman from Louisville, but then, or from somebody from somewhere else, but then he didn't actually wind up at Cal. He flipped to Louisville. Cause like, Wait. I don't know, Louisville wanted to play him, pay him more money. Like, <laughs> like, uh, oops, you know, couldn't, couldn't get him. Um, so yeah, oh, oh, in my article I made a big deal about how Cal failed to recruit a single freshman offensive lineman, which is just like absolutely flipping insane, just like completely Yikes. nuts. And um and, and this and is a Rob school Wong. known for its academic standards, huh? Yeah, right. Yeesh. Just like completely <laughs> Where's the Yeah, no, I was like this? I was I was I was railing about this and, and like I mean not like they were gonna play freshman offensive linemen. I mean God I hope not, but like you know, I was railing about this to Rob Wong on our on our podcast where I like I mean I like Rob a lot. I, I love Rob. In fact, you know, Oregon and Cal being in different conferences like one of the big things that breaks my heart about that is not having an excuse to talk to talk to Rob more often. But anyway, um and I was like, Rob, you know, come on, like you guys this is a smart school. You I mean you literally have behind Spruel Hall like parking spots reserved for Nobel laureates like you know you got to tell me about the secret plan here and it's like oh the secret plan is to recruit some offensive linemen starting in the 2024 class and I'm like that is not a good plan (laughs) you guys are not geniuses anyway fill those holes with something other than silly putty it it now turns out that that is not quite true. One of the dudes who they their prep recruit from the 2023 class, Jadon Roberts, who is a defensive lineman. Well, now he's an offensive lineman. So now they do technically have one offensive line recruit from the 2023 class, although he's a converted defensive lineman. So you can guess what I think about that. Um, yeah, man, like, I don't the idea that Oregon was going to hire Justin Wilcox looks like less and less credible by the day. Like which, whichever newspaper reporters said that I think has, you know, if he hadn't already less, lost all of his credibility due to the <laughs> events of the last couple of weeks, I, you know, we yeah. we're, we're always going to love Willie here in Eugene, but I mean, mm-hmm. uh, just mm-hmm. thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> yeah. Anywho, uh, yeah, I mean, there are a couple other changes. I I haven't even like I'm only about halfway done of the changes that like Cal made to their roster since uh, since I wrote my article. Like they had 
uh, other additions, other subtractions. I don't really think they, they frankly uh, address. Oh, oh, one of the big deals that, you know, I, I mentioned they got Byron Cardwell from Oregon. Well, he got hurt and he's going to miss the season. Um, also, one of their starting cornerbacks got hurt and is going to miss the season. Um, also, one of their outside linebackers is got hurt and is going to miss the season, although it's not a big deal because he's not very good. Um, probably wasn't really going to start anyway. Uh, and there's more that you, you know, we're going to have a big section about all the changes that Cal made. Like, but like Cal didn't, this isn't, look, there are some programs in the PAC 12 that went hard at the transfer portal because like, they were like, we need to remake our roster. Like we were bad and we had this and that and the other thing, and we need to get better. We need to process out the underperformers and we need to get better performers. And like, or like, you know, I was introducing a new scheme because I took over from, uh, uh, the, you know, a previous staff and like, I need to get guys who have body types that fit my system. Um, and, and you know, like some programs did that and other other programs, on the other hand, uh, you know, are, are it's like they're losing guys through attrition because they're like they're getting raided of their best players by more prestigious programs. And like Cal is in the latter category, like they they're losing, you know, they lost Sturdivant and uh, and their uh, Femi Oladejo, who's their starting inside linebacker to UCLA, because like. Cause that dude wanted, cause those dudes wanted to go play for a better team, you know, yeah. like, you know, and, and there's a couple other examples where it's like winning is fun, believe it or not. Yeah. Or, <laughs> you know, just like, just, you know, the, or, or they're like, they're grabbing dudes cause, cause, cause they need them, you know, like not because like, Hey, th- th- this was my considered decision to to process out, uh, you know, an underperformer and, and grab a better performer. Like, you know, th- this is like desperation. This yeah. is like, I got to patch holes. Like I got to, yeah. you know, Oh my God, this guy blew up. And so I got to like, you know, like my tire exploded. I got to put a patch on it. Like not, yes. I've put better performing tires on, you know? Um, uh, let's see other programs. Oh, I- I Arizona state, you know, I, I wrote in my article, I thought they still had a lot more work to do. Um, they did some of that work. Um, it, like one of the guys that I questioned whether or not they were going to get him, like, for example, defensive line, I really thought they had a lot more work to do on the defensive line as I wrote in my article, which I think was like the second one that I published. And like, they did get one of the guys that I questioned whether or not he, they were going to be able to get his name is Mallory. I think he comes from Michigan state. Um, and like, I was like, I, like there were different sources that I could find. Some of them were like, I, I think he can come and other ones were like, I don't think he's going to be able to make it. Well, he did make it to the roster. So good for him. He's, you know, he's on the roster. In fact, I found a podcast interview that, um, some, some, um, some ASU just like it's a fan podcast, but somehow they got him on their podcast. And so they talked to him and he was actually a really fun, interesting interviews, like an intelligent young man. I like listening to it, but yeah, uh, that's how much work I do for your benefit listener uh, as I listen to a podcast about an Arizona state transfer defensive lineman to confirm that he is actually on the team. <laughs> that's, that's how much of a flipping nerd I am. Uh, anyway, uh, um, this is journalistic integrity. Yeah, that's me. Anyway, um, on the other hand, another guy that they really needed uh, on the defensive line, Corey Roberson, um, it looked like they were going to get him. But just like um, the Cal offensive lineman, uh, he got flipped 
um, uh, uh, Southern Methodist flipped uh, Corey Roberson and took him away from Arizona State. And it doesn't look like they were able to secure anybody to replace Roberson. So I still think that ASU looks really thin on their defensive tackle uh, situation. And I think teams are going to be able to run all over them for that reason. Um, oh, they also lost a, a linebacker um, who was an in-out, uh, uh, Juwan Mitchell. Um, uh, one of their wide receivers, Jake Smith, was denied his NCAA waiver. So he's not going to be able to play. Um, uh, um, uh, they got an offensive lineman. I don't know. Like they, it, ultimately, I thought that they had more work to do, and they got a little bit of work done, but not really enough. Like I was expecting a cal-sized list out of ASU, given that I published them that article at about the same time that I published the Cal article, and instead I have like a tiny list. And so it's like, mm, uh oh, Kenny. Um, I, I kind of, I'm not. I'm not expecting great things out of Arizona State this year, even though I'm kind of rooting for Kenny Dillingham. Cause like, I mean, obviously the Oregon connection, I got a little bit of a, like, I'm, I'm kind of rooting for him. Cause like he comes yeah. off of the Dan Lanning coaching tree now. <laughs> I, I think down the I think down the road, Kenny will help build that program. Into, but into a better place. but it's, it's, it's more like when I'm doing these, these roster dives, <laughs> it's like, I, I can, uh, you, you know, in the movie, the matrix, when, when the guy's looking at the, the code, you know, tumbling down his screen and he's like, you know, I, I, I don't see the code anymore. I see blonde, brunette, redhead. It's like when I'm looking at the, 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 these, these roster databases on my computer screen, like I, I, I I'm seeing like intent, like I, I, I'm divining in, in intent in them. And like, and for some schools, I see complacency. Like I'm seeing, like I, like I can read into them. This was an underperforming unit, and you did nothing about it. And I can read into that you were being complacent. And not like I shake my, I wag my finger at those coaches. Arizona State, you know, and a couple other programs like Arizona down the road in Tucson is another example. I'm like you know, I stand up and salute. I'm like, you recognize the scope of the problem that you had and you really went hard at remaking your roster and really taking advantage of all the tools that you have with the, um, the lifting of the, um, the temporary lifting of the 25 initial counter cap and the liberalization of the transfer portal rules. And like, you guys, you, you know, you got it. You, you, you went hard at it. It's just, you know, in the case of Kenny Dillingham, like he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have above his office door Oregon Ducks anymore. He has, you know, Arizona State Sun Devils. And so the kind of guys that he's pulling out of the transfer portal, like it's just harder. It's like it's harder work, you know, but he understands yeah. the job. You know what I mean? It like he's there was no there wasn't an ounce of complacency. It's just like he's he's not going hunting with as big of a rifle, you know, um, sure. and, and and so it's sort of like uh, my sort of my heart broke for him a bit like that. He wasn't able to be more successful, um, but like, I don't know, maybe he'll have a decent, you know, first year, all things considered, maybe he'll be able to move, some, make some momentum and, and, uh, and, and do better next year. Um, Cause he's, it certainly does seem like he understands the task. Unlike some of these other coaches, maybe I'll, I'll make fun of them now. Like, uh, um, like Washington. Um, I really thought that Washington had some work, to do like some pretty significant work to do on their defense. Their defense was ranked like number 70 in yeah. F plus. 
And like, I really thought that they had some work to do in overhauling their defense and they basically didn't like at all. Um, and so then I thought, well, maybe they'll do some of that work after I, um, I published my article and they didn't like none. They made no changes at all on the defensive side. They made some changes on the offensive side. They got uh, an offensive lineman, actually Adrian Clem's uh, kid um, or relative. I'm, I'm, I can't remember if he's a son. Um, uh, they, um, they added a non-scholarship quarterback. Um, uh, let's say Jabez Tine uh, made it official and hit the portal. Although I speculated pretty heavily in my article that he was already gone. So that was just confirmation of something that I pretty much already knew. Um, uh, oh, there was one defensive change, which is, uh, one of their defensive backs got suspended indefinitely. Um, <laughs> uh, which like, you know, caused Washington fans to have to, you know, go into conniptions about, you know, cause they're really convinced they run a super clean program, I guess. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that they don't or, or that there's something unusual. They're like, Oh, guess what guys? Like every program is the same, like, cause human beings are the same on every, in, in every County and every state and every country and every continent and at all yes. points in time, like all human beings are the same. It is astonished. Like any sociologist will tell you this, like, so like, yeah, of course they had some guys suspended because if you look at any football program, you will find yeah. at this time of year, some guys suspended, like the idea it's that gonna, it's going to happen. We all remember the McDonald's parking lot. Yeah. It's just like, what happened. <laughs> yeah. It's like anybody who's ever like, Oh, my program doesn't know guys suspended and your program has some guys suspended. So therefore, you know, mine is better than yours. Just like, yeah. wait, wow. wait five minutes. You know, yeah, exactly. you'll look real It'll stupid happen. five minutes from now, you know, like to air is human. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, but you know, where I can make fun of Washington is the complacency, which, you know, I was, uh, accusing Kalen DeBoer being complacent about the defensive overhaul that he needed to do, um, when I published my article and I am still able to make that argument, you know, now, cause he didn't do any of it, uh, you know, yeah. other than suspending one defensive back, there is zero defensive changes, you know? Which, uh, you know, I guess we're just not going to complain about too much, you know. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean. I mean, no offensive changes either. I did, uh, you know, I located. Well, they don't you know, need to change a whole lot offensively. I did actually think <laughs> that there was one thing that they needed to do on offense, which I thought they needed to get better at tight end. Because, like, oh, if well, you. Yeah. This, that was one thing that I, I wrote about in my article that, like, it's a, you know, it's definitely a pass-based offense. And the the way that pass-based offenses, when the defense compresses in the red zone, the way that they score is they throw it to the tight end. And, like, the way that their offense operates between the 20s kind of doesn't work within the red zone. Like, they need to be able to throw it to the tight end. And they're kind of in a problem where, like, their main tight end, Devin Culp, like, just hasn't gotten the job done for like four years and they're yeah. kind of having a problem where like remember Cade Otten their great tight end like for mm -hmm. many many years well he's off you know he's off the program now but like his younger brother Ryan Otten like he was a true freshman but basically didn't play last year and like he is kind of been a no-show in spring and so I was like well maybe they'll get like some transfer portal tight end because like if Ryan Otten's no-go and Devin Culp is a no-go and they need a tight end to score in the red zone because like their red zone scoring tight end or touchdown scoring efficiency wasn't 
real great. Like it didn't match how good they were between the twenties. Like that would be, you know, analytics, right? Like analytics, self-scouting would tell you like, we need better tight ends to score in the red zone to really, you know, uh, you know, take this rocket ship to the moon. Um, and so they didn't really do that. They went and got one FCS guy who's like, I watched that guy's film because I bizarrely, I watched it because I was watching Portland state um, film because I got to watch Portland state film, but that's Oregon's opener. Um, and like that guy's numbers are an illusion. Um, and like, if that's the guy that they're counting, like I got an FCS tight end, that's my solution. Like, give me a break, dude. Um, and then they didn't go get any other tight ends out of the portal since I published my article. So like I, yeah, Hey, complacency. Um, let's see what else. Uh, Utah is in a situation. Um, they're Cam Rising and Brant Keithy are both not cleared to practice. Um, and the backup quarterback, Brandon Rose, is hurt and has not been practicing. Which is like, uh oh, like, like, uh oh, yeah, for real. Like that's the two time. Pac-12 <laughs> conference champ, like who, and I mean, I spent eight paragraphs in my article about Utah trying to figure out who the backup quarterback was because like that was the one, because like they returned to everybody on their offense. And like, I was like, well, as you know, as long as they have rising and Keithy, they should be, okay. you know, healthy, then this offense should perform exactly the same way they have for the last yeah. two years. But, then, but if they don't have those guys, then this offense will be absolute dog crap. Um, yeah. Because I had to spend all this time figuring out what it would be without those guys. And my answer is they don't have anything without those guys. And um, it kind of looks like they don't have those guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, what? So, and like they got to play Florida in like, let me check, 11 days. Like, yeah, so they got like Florida is also in a bad spot. So I don't know. I'm just saying that they got to play a game. Like, well, they might have to. They might have to pull an organ and just have Rising hop around on one leg out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know, man. Like ACLs, yeah, that's bad <laughs> news. Um, all right. Like, I, th- that's enough of a teaser. Uh, th- there are more. I have. Uh, I have. If you haven't guessed, I have been quite assiduous um, in monitoring every school in the Pac-12 and all of their injury situations and transfer portal comings and goings and fall camp reports and so forth. Because like somebody's got to be a journalist in the swan song of this conference. Because all the other like you know, journalists quote unquote, uh, have been paying attention to conference realignment news and tweeting like mad, uh, all the rumors that they hear as opposed to, you know, their jobs. Uh, so I'll do it for them because that's what we do (laughs) at addicted to quack. Right, Adam? Exactly. Exactly. I'm not going to hang my hat on that Oregon moving to the big 10 forever, just for a few weeks, just for a few weeks while the, while the weather holds out before the fall comes. Um, but it never rains on this podcast.